right, I am on. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to uh, Sunday School at uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church. We are uh, continuing our, um, our study on what is God's Word. Uh, so far, if I can remember all the stuff we've done so far, um, we had a little bit of introduction. We talked about um, the way that uh, God's Word works, uh, including uh, how we interpret the Old Testament, New Testament. Now for the next uh, few weeks, we are going to look at uh, characteristics of God's Word. Um, if you want to put it this way, attributes of God's Word. And today, the first attribute we're going to talk about is the authority of God's Word. So this should be uh, a, a very interesting one. Uh, those of you that are uh, younger, um, and I mean like still in school, are young people, uh, please pay attention to this one. Um, whether you are in elementary school or high school, or even those of you in college, uh, listen closely because what we're going to talk about today is going to involve uh, questions that are either going to come to your own mind or people will ask you. And so you've got to have a response. So let's have a word of prayer and then we will get going. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you um, eager to understand how it is that you communicate with us. Lord, we, uh, we are thankful for a God that not only are we able to talk to you, but you speak back to us, Lord, through your word uh, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we are uh, coming before you today to find out uh, what it is your word is able to do for us and why it is we are able to believe in it. So, Lord, I ask for wisdom today and help as we try to understand these important questions. Lord, we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Okay. Well, um, so today we're going to be talking about the authority of God's Word. And it's, it begins with this question. How do you know God's Word is true. Um, part of my daytime job is that uh, I look at textbooks, um, uh, including Christian textbooks. And so uh, I was looking at a, a Christian textbook the other day. It was uh, published by the same people that uh, publish, um, oh, who's that guy? Uh, Answers in Genesis stuff. And so uh, that company that publishes Answers in Genesis uh, put out some textbooks, and one of the textbooks is a history textbook. And throughout the history textbook, they have these little features that are called um, apologetics, uh, some kind of apologetics uh, thing. Uh, that's what it was. Apologetics and archaeology, because you can't beat that. So... Uh, so what they do is periodically through the book they say, you know, uh, the Bible mentions this place, and we have found through our archaeological findings that indeed 
the Bible said there'd be a little city here, and we dug deep enough, and we found a city. So uh, good for the Bible. And, um, and so they have these little vignettes, if I can put it that way. And one of them was, um, the, top of the top of the page was this sentence, if I remember it correctly. I'm getting old, so it's hard to remember things. Uh, in Judges, uh, it says something like, Judges is a very interesting book. But how do we know that it really happened? And so it's asking the young people how it is they know that the book of Judges actually did occur. Well, that's an interesting question. How do they know? Well, according to that particular textbook, uh, you know because of archaeological findings, right? Uh, they found some, some kind of shiny thing in the desert that was in the right place, and so uh, apparently Judges is okay to believe in. But what we really want to know is, uh, what's the real reason we know the book of Judges or any book in the Bible is true? So uh, you young people that are listening right now, um, that are not thinking about anything else except for what I'm saying, uh, what, uh, what kind of an answer would you give? If someone came up to you, uh, maybe you find yourself uh, doing something out in the world and some, uh, you make friends with someone, those of you that are teenagers will one day get a job, I hope. And uh, in that job, you might come across people that don't know the Lord. And they might find out that you do believe in all this stuff. And they say, why do you even believe the Bible is true? What would be your response? Would you uh, turn to archaeological findings <laughs> and say maybe uh, there's some trinkets found in the desert in the right spot, and that's why I believe in the Bible? Uh, what are you going to tell them? Uh, why do we believe that this is true? So that's the, the question we want to we wanna tackle today. Uh, my hope is that at the end of this, uh, you will have an answer. Um, and that you will be able to repeat it to me uh, when I see you again. Uh, and uh, we will see each other again in person. And I will ask that question to each and every one of the young people that are listening today. So, let's begin with a little bit of an understanding of what we are as human beings. Um, if you were diligent and printed out our handy-dandy handout, you will see that our first uh, blank there uh, talks about humans. Humans are something beings. So in that blank, uh, I want you to put learning. We are learning beings. That's what we are. We're designed to learn. So you come into the world with very little information. Uh, must be very terrifying for you when you first uh, enter into this world. Uh, you kind of you know uh, basically that when I feel uncomfortable, I scream. And so that's pretty much all the information you have at that point. Uh, when you're cold, you scream. When you're hungry, you scream. Some people call it crying. But either way, you uh, learn very quickly when I scream, uh, larger beings uh, satisfy the uncomfortability that I have. 
And then you kind of move from there. Uh, you learn words and you speak words. Uh, you learn um, how to even organize your thoughts. And from organizing your thoughts, you learn how to predict. Let me give you an example. Um, organizing your thoughts uh, might be something like, uh, for you young people, I have just broken something that is precious to my parents. Uh, maybe that's proposition number one. Proposition number two, I broke this thing whilst disobeying my parents. So you have two propositions there, and I bet from those two propositions you can then predict. You can predict how your parents will react, and you then begin to go into another kind of organization. Uh, how will I hide the fact that I just broke something whilst disobeying? And so all this organization is something we call logic. And so even how you organize your thoughts is uh, um, something you learn. And so we're constantly learning, learning, learning. Now to learn, we have some kind of way that we learn, and that is through authority. So someone tells you something, you believe it, and it becomes the way you've learned something. Does that make sense? Um, so... Uh, this doesn't ever go away even when you're adults. Uh, if you want to work on a, even on something like a, like a PhD, and you want to write a dissertation, which is a very grown-up thing to do, uh, they will insist that everything you say is actually said already by someone that is much smarter than you. And then you put a little number by the place that you said that thing, and then you go down to what's called a footnote and you say, this is my authority. I can say this because someone smarter than me said it first. Right? And that's how we do everything. Uh, in fact, some of you young people will even know the phrase, who says? So uh, someone, one of your siblings might come to you and say, you're not supposed to be doing that. And then you say, who says? Right? Maybe... Uh, on the off chance that your sibling just wants to tell you what to do, you want to make sure that that sibling has the authority to tell you whether you're allowed to do that or not. So uh, the who says comes out. And who says never goes away. No matter how old you get, someone is going to say who says. Now they might say it in a more adult way, right? but they still say it. Your dissertation advisor says it a lot. Who says? Why are you just saying that? Who says? you got to have some guy that said it over here. And as you get older uh, uh, and get into more relationships, when you get married, uh, everything you do has to come from some kind of authority. As you young men lead your wife, you're going to have to have some kind of authority that tells you how it is to lead your wife. In fact, there's going to be people that challenge you on that and say, who says that you're supposed to lead your wife? Why doesn't your wife lead you? Oftentimes, she's smarter and better looking. So why on earth are you the one in charge? Who says? So what kind of an answer are you going to give? So what we find is that our entire learning, um, uh, the entire way that we come to learn anything comes from who says, which is authority. And what we find out about our knowledge, especially about humans, is that, and these are the next two blanks on your sheet there, human knowledge is limited in quantity, first of all, 
So even when we learn a bunch of stuff, we have to have an authority because we know that our knowledge is limited. We don't have a lot of it. Um, it's very limited as far as quantity. And human knowledge is limited in quality as well. Um, how it is we come to know something might be a whole lot more complex than we really think. And that happens all the time. In fact, it even happens in science. Right? Before quantum mechanics, we really thought we had everything set. Through uh, Newton's laws, we believed that we had pretty much everything the way it was supposed to be, and we had figured things out. Then all of a sudden, uh, quantum mechanics comes along. And it literally was saying things that were the exact opposite of what we had thought about physics uh, before. Because we found our world is a whole lot more complex than we thought. Our quality of, of knowledge uh, was really not as good as we thought. And this is how humans work. This is why humans tend to say, who says? Because if a human understands himself enough, he understands that humans have to have an authority in order to know anything because we don't trust humans by themselves. Uh, let me give you one last example before we move uh, forward. Um, it's an example I use often, so if I've used it before, I apologize. But uh, if you were to look at your thumb, uh, everyone has different shapes and sizes and, uh, and uh, flexibility. Uh, if you look at your thumb, how many inches would you say your thumb is? Take a look at that little thing. Uh, what are we talking? Two and a half? Three inches? I think mine's about two and a half. I have a very short thumb. Um, some of you have longer thumbs. Some of you have thumbs that can move like that. I wish you guys were all here. You would see the, the weird thumbs we have around. So uh, when you look at your thumb, trying to move forward, <laughs> you're trying to guess how many inches it is. You, you can guess, but you would need an authority. So what would you need? Men. This one isn't hard. A ruler, thank you. Thank you. So we use a ruler. So, <laughs> so maybe some of you uh, are just precise people and you may have brought a ruler with you to Sunday school today. And so you measure your thumb. And it, maybe it's uh, two and a quarter inches long, according to that ruler. But then you might ask yourself, well, how do I know this ruler's right? Who says that the, the company that made this ruler did it the right way? So what would you use? <laughs> I don't think Wikipedia is going to help you with your thumb today. But um, perhaps you might get another ruler out, maybe from a different company, just to make sure that the ruler you used uh, on your thumb was accurate. And so this new ruler then becomes what? It becomes a new authority, right? Because now you have questioned this ruler and now this ruler becomes the one that brings you comfort about this ruler. Does that make sense? This ruler's in question. This ruler, we're like, yeah, we're sure about this one. So we compare it, and now this one becomes the authority. What if you uh, start suspecting this one? You're like, well, this one was made in China. 
And we're uh, getting kind of suspicious of <laughs> Chinese-made things. And so maybe, well, where's an American-made one? Got to get the American-made. And we look at the American-made and like, okay, well, I guess now this one that we're questioning is now okay because this one, which is the new authority, is now going to tell me about this one. You see how I'm working here? This is how humans think. Yeah. So then we have, yeah. So then we have different kinds of logic that we have uh, about this whole thing. But this is how we work. It's how a court of law works. We use evidence, right? And that evidence will tell me whether or not uh, this very specific thing is going to tell me whether or not something very general, like guilty or not guilty, is going to work. So I bring you to all this because humans think in terms of authority. It is the only way we are able to think. Even if you uh, don't like someone's authority, it's only because you are trying to tout another one. Right? In fact, it is uh, the argument of people oftentimes of, well, I can't believe in the Bible because I believe in reason or logic. I'm a logical person, so I can't believe in the Bible. Right? And so then you would ask them, well, what makes you think reason is something you should believe in? And they would, if they were honest with you, which is, rarely happens, uh, they would say something like, well, it's reasonable to believe in reason. According to the laws of reason, you should believe in reason. <laughs> I mean, really, that's what we're coming down to, because reason is just a way of finding consistency. And consistency tells you consistency is good. And so if you have laws designed for consistency, then of course you're going to love consistency, because these laws tells you, tell you you should. In other words, authority works a particular way in which you go far back enough and you just stopped questioning something, right? With our rulers, we got to the American-made ruler and we just said, you know what, let's stop there. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to have an infinite amount of rulers and drive ourselves insane. So I say all that because uh, when it comes to God's word, we are dealing with something where authority ends. In other words, we can't go back any further. Why? It's not because there's something special about black ink. It's not that there's something special about flattened, uh, flattened uh, what, wood uh, made into paper, right? There's nothing really cool about this, right? <laughs> What's going on is that there's something special about that word itself, who it came from. If you look on your, uh, on your handout, we have Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 1, Article 4. Uh, if you don't have a handout, you can just uh, find it online. I'm sure it's pretty easy to find. And uh, I'm going to have to hold this a little closer. I think our, our ink is running out in our computer uh, printer there. All right. The authority of the Scripture... Okay, is what we're talking about here. And so in 1.4, one, it says this, the authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be, in your first blank there is, believed and obeyed. 
depends not upon the testimony of any man or church. Now let's just stop right there. Okay, so the authority of Scripture, um, that which we say we know that Scripture is true. How do we know it's true? So first it says, well, it's supposed to be believed and obeyed. The only reason it is to be believed and obeyed is because, we're going to find out later, it's true. But that belief and obedience is not based on the testimony of man or a church. So finding some trinkets in the desert is not how we know the Bible is true. Finding out that the Bible really is logical isn't a way we're going to find out that the Bible is true. So the testimony of someone discovering something about the Bible outside of itself isn't the way we're going to know it's true. Finding out that it's even logical or reasonable isn't how we're going to know that it's true. A particular church telling us, right? And I mean like a denomination. So if the Catholic Church or... Oh, no. We're going to try restarting everything and uh, coming back at you in a few minutes, so you'll have to reconnect. All right. Well, we are back. Hopefully, there won't be any more uh, complications. For those of you that uh, uh, were having problems, I, it was not your internet. It was uh, some kind of malfunction, but I think we're good now. Aren't we? <laughs> Are we good now? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, so this is, this is for those of you that uh, find uh, my Sunday school so annoying you were trying to skip it, and now you are on trying to find the uh, sermon, but no, here we are, back to, the sun, to our Sunday school. <laughs> so that's the way things go. Um, all right, well, let me do a quick little recap because uh, you may have missed quite a bit of it. Um, so we were talking about how humans think. I went into this really elaborate uh, example <laughs> about measurement and how we constantly need an authority to tell us um, not only what to think, but how to think. And so this has become uh, the centerpiece of all, really, of all philosophy, trying to tell us what to think and how to think. Um, I can't think of any other thing that philosophy uh, does. Anyone else? Uh, tells us what and how to think. Um, and that's because man doesn't like the idea of the Bible telling us what and how to think. Um, and uh, so every philosophy since, uh, since Thales um, has been designed to find some other authority than, than God's word and some other way of thinking other than how God's word tells us to think. And so one of the things I was talking about is uh, the who says uh, issue. Um, when you're a kid, uh, there's a lot of who says going around, trying to find out who is the authority behind what you say. 
And one of the things I was trying to get everyone to understand is that uh, who says never goes away. There's always going to be someone who is asking that question, no matter how deep into academia you go, or who you meet um, on, uh, in your work, or whatever situation you're in. If you, be- if you are a Christian, and I mean a real one, uh, people are going to be curious as to how it is that God's word is something you believe in so strongly that it is the thing that tells you what to believe and how to believe it. And so a good question that I think pagans often uh, are curious about um, is, why do you believe the Bible's true? And so that is what we want to answer today, because I fear that we don't have a very good answer very often. Um, We often want to turn to some kind of scientific thing that they already believe and try and correlate it so that we don't look so dumb. Um, I think half of apologetics out there are designed to make us look smart instead of telling people what the truth is. So we turn to archaeology, or we'll turn to science, we'll turn to some kind of logical thing. Uh, There's this guy named Alvin Plantinga, who is um, a very sweet man, um, has done a lot with logic, but his... um, I think the danger he has created in his Christian philosophies is that he wants to say the Bible or uh, Christianity itself is reasonable. And uh, I think it is, but who cares? Um, I guess is my answer to that. Uh, What have we done when we have shown the world, hey, we're reasonable too? Um, I don't think it solves any problems, and I don't think that's what people really care about. They pretend they care if... Uh, Christianity is reasonable. But I think the real reason everyone likes this guy who has put out these books is because they're terrified of looking stupid. And scripture uh, is very clear that if you really hold to God's word being the absolute truth and authority over your life, people will think you're stupid. Because what we'll find out in 1 Corinthians, not 2nd, Sorry about that. Uh, In 1 Corinthians, is that God chose the foolish things of this world on purpose to carry forward the truth. And so, uh, we left off on Westminster Confession of Faith 1.4. And if you have your outline there, um, it talks about the authority uh, of God's word. And it says, the authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, those are the two blanks, uh, believed and obeyed, depends not upon the testimony of any man or church. And we are talking about how our longing in our sinful nature is to have some kind of respected authority anywhere except our God. We want man to be the authority or some denomination to be the authority upon which the pagans can look and say, oh, that's a good authority. That's an acceptable authority. You're not stupid. 
Instead, it's much more mystical than that. If I can say mysterious than that. Let's keep reading. But, or we could even say, but rather. Um, it depends, remember, because that's the running uh, verb there. It depends wholly upon God, who is truth itself. The author thereof, and therefore it is to be received because it is the word of God. Now this is very disappointing for those of you that wanted to sound cool to your pagan friends. Where you could say, well, according to the scientific findings of so-and-so, we know that the Bible is actually quite accurate when it's speaking of the scientific so-and-so of the stuff. And we'd love to say things like that. Right? We would love to say, well, according to the laws and syllogisms of logic, we know that the Bible actually is quite uh, accurate because of its uh, attuneness to the logical laws that we all uh, know. And they would just love to say something like that. We would love the authority of Scripture to be placed on anything down here possible. Right? Because that would help us not look so foolish to the rest of the world. But instead, it depends on God. And then we find out that truth isn't a concept, but rather a person. God. And he is the author of his word, which carries forth his characteristic of truth to us. And so the author thereof and therefore should be received, right? We should receive God's word not because we have found something here on earth to justify it, but it's justified because it's from God. Now you might say to yourself after that, especially the pagans would be especially interested, how can you believe that God's word really is the authority of truth? I mean, how do you believe that this really is God's word? Wouldn't it be great, right? And I have often thought this myself. Uh, the children of Israel had it made, right? Uh, the early church um, of Israel in the Old Testament had it made because they were not struggling over whether there really was a God or not, right? Right? Uh, they were terrified. They heard his voice. And they begged Moses uh, to not hear it again. <laughs> Said, you talk to him. We don't want to hear that anymore. Right? It was too terrifying to them. So they weren't struggling over, mm, is there a God? Uh, maybe evolution is true. Uh, did, did all this just happen? Uh, man, I, I wish there was a, some way we could just have some proof. They weren't thinking that at all. They wanted less proof. Right? They were asking uh, less, please. Uh, they've seen the pillar of fire at night. They've seen the cloud during the day. They heard the voice. They've seen people be swallowed up into the, into the ground and destroyed. They've seen all kinds of things. They were not questioning that. But they still had a hard time with belief, didn't they? Right? What we're going to find is that belief isn't where we thought it would be. We can't locate our belief or our security of belief in what we think 
might be the best way. So this is something I would ask my students when I, um, when I would teach, uh, in, especially in the public uh, colleges and universities. I would ask how many people believe in God. Ironically, more hands went up when I taught up in the north than down here in the south. Uh, I don't know if that's because the kids grew up living and breathing religion, so this was their chance to be cool and say, well, I don't believe in that stuff because I'm just so cool, uh, or whatever it is, uh, whatever kids need these days. Um, I saw less hands down here. So I said, those of you that don't believe that there's a God, um, what would you need? What would you need to believe? Uh, and they just kind of stared at me. Uh, they didn't know what they would need. I said, well, what if, he, uh, what if he came down and just appeared right here and said, hey, I'm here. Uh, would that be enough? And they kind of molded that around. They said, well, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess it would be enough. But then I said, well, what if after that it was so weird, it was such a strange thing that you just uh, later on thought, well, maybe I just dreamed that or maybe that was just a trick. Wouldn't you doubt it later because it was just such a strange thing? And they agreed. They would doubt it later. So I said, well, well then what could we do? And then, so they were coming up with all these ideas of how they would believe. And what we find is that how it is we come to believe isn't what we, usually, what we would think for ourselves. Because oftentimes we don't know. That's what I found with my students is that they demanded proof but didn't know what that proof would look like. Right? So in a very unfair way, they demand proof that there's a God, even though they don't know what exactly that would look like so that it could actually be proof. So that brings us to 1 Corinthians. I apologize, I have 2 Corinthians there on the handout for those of you that were diligent and printed it out. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, if you recall, this is within the context of Paul talking about what it is men put their faith in or their trust in. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, he's talking about uh, how in the Old Testament it is written uh, in verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And then Paul asks, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In other words, the things that the world says, you give me this and I'll believe, is, is, isn't even really what they, what they would believe with, right? Even if you gave them everything they demanded so that they could believe, they still would not believe. Because proof is not the problem. Proof is not the problem. Because what Paul, the kind of point Paul is making here is here you have these men that are considered the wise of this age. The scribes, which would be the PhDs of this age. Uh, the debaters of this age, these really smart guys that uh, are all over talk radio or on TV that know how to how to debate all this stuff, and they seem to be very smart, God made them foolish. Because the things that they are 
demanding to believe would not make them believe at all. Instead, because since the Jews asked for signs and the Greeks searched for wisdom, instead, we preach Christ crucified. I mean, look at what he's saying there. For indeed, the Jews asked for signs. What's he talking about? Evidence. Right? If I just had the evidence, then I would believe. I just don't see the evidence, right? This is what you hear from all these popular atheists, uh, Dawkins and all those other guys. Uh, there's just not enough evidence to believe in such a thing. Uh, this is addressed, right? Or you would say, well, Christianity is so barbaric. It's so immoral. Here you have this God who is supposed to be all good and all powerful, yet look at all the suffering in the world. I can't believe in a God like that. I've heard that a million times. And that's the idea of the Greeks, right? God isn't wise enough for me to obey, right? So either I don't have enough evidence or the God you're describing isn't uh, logical enough. And then what do you think the response would be? In verse 23, what we would want in our selfishness and our sin nature, what we would want is Paul to say, but there is a ton of evidence. Let me show you the evidence. And there is a lot of good reasons to believe. And let me tell you those good reasons to believe. We are not dumb. We're really smart. <laughs> right? That's what we want verse 23 to be. We want verse 23 to be that proof that really puts them in their place. Say, see, we do have all the evidence, we have all the reasoning, we have everything that the Jews and the Greeks are asking for. We have it, and they don't even know. So you just wait. I have all my special apologetics arguments waiting for you. And instead, Paul says, so here is our answer to people that want all this evidence and all these philosophical uh, conundrums solved. Uh, we preach Christ crucified. Yep, that's your answer. We preach Christ crucified. And yeah, the guys that want the evidence is a stumbling block to them. They think it's terrible. And to the guys that uh, want some philosophical answer, they think this is stupid. It's foolishness. But to those who are the called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So I want to turn your attention uh, to 2 Peter 1 as to our answer for why we believe in the authority of God's word. 2 Peter 1.19 So, we have the uh, prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. In other words, how is it that we are made more sure of God's prophetic word? 
How are we made more sure? Is it through the evidence that we recognize and feel satisfied with? Is it through the logical constructions that then give us our comfort that it's true? What gives us the surety? The surety comes through God's work in our hearts. Because here is the truth. And this is your next two blanks there. Humans, by sin nature, are not attracted to truth. They're not attracted to truth. This was a... Uh, something that was hard for my students to understand when I taught logic and philosophy in the secular schools. I would say, you think you're searching for truth, but you're not. You're not attracted to it. You would hate it if you saw it. Why? Because of the author of it. Right? Why would humans hate truth so much? Why are they repelled by it? Because they're repelled by the author of it. Because God, who is truth itself, the author thereof, is the one they hate. You cannot be attracted to the truth and hate the author of it. Your desire will constantly be looking for something that would justify your experiences outside of the author of truth. Belief is almost never a matter of evidence. Even if I wasn't a Christian at all, it would make no sense to me that someone would believe anything based on evidence. Because evidence, if I want to get technical, is based on a kind of reasoning that does not guarantee truth. It's called inductive reasoning. It doesn't guarantee the truth. It leaves leaves that evidence up to you to interpret, and I would never trust myself because I would think of myself as as a result of a blob in water, and it's insane to think that a blob in water would eventually come to know truth. And the same thing comes when we try to think that something as flimsy as evidence would be the thing we would need outside of God's direct work in our heart. Belief in God's word is uh, belief in God's word as the standard of truth begins in the heart. Belief is a matter of the power of the spirit. And we get that back in 1 Corinthians 2. 14 through 16, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Why can it say that? Because what is he using to appraise things, to know if they're true, to understand the world around him? He's using God's word. So it's not saying particularly that um, Christians are given a special power of truth. It's saying that Christians have the special power of God's word through the work of the Holy Spirit. So that what they are saying is true isn't questioned because what are they using? 
the thing that cannot be questioned, God's word, and the power of the Holy Spirit to believe it. So I want to close with this. I want to make clear, uh, especially to you young people, it is going to be, if, if you are the Lord's, and you have committed yourself to him, um, you are going to come across a lot of resistance towards your faithfulness to his word. People are going to ask you the question, why would you believe in the Bible when all these smart guys have already proven the Bible is wrong? If your answer doesn't come from Scripture, you are going to cause yourself doubt. If you are expecting an answer to why I believe the Bible to be found somewhere out here in this world, in the created world, um, something as flimsy as evidence or some kind of reasoning, you are cheapening the amazing power that is in God's word through the work of the Holy Spirit. When someone asks you, how do you know the Bible is true? The correct answer is what the Bible says. God has caused me to believe through the power of his Holy Spirit and the work of the word that I believe in. And they'll say, well, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make sense. I mean, why can't I believe it? And you could say, because Christ, Christ's work doesn't apply to someone that doesn't believe. The Holy Spirit has to do the work. And it sounds mystical, it's un, uh, it might not be satisfying to what they're looking for, but like the Jews and the Greeks, they're looking for things that... Um, that are going to turn out to be foolishness to them. So my hope for you is that as you uh, start thinking about the authority of God's word, this is going to be the keystone of the rest of the, of the lectures we have on this, because what we're going to be looking at is all the other attributes go back to that authority. So I hope this is encouraging to you. I, I hope that, um, that you have a maybe a clear understanding of how it is we come to believe in God's word, um, that it is not through uh, um, the kind of evidence and the kind of logic we might find comfort in, but rather the comfort of Christ's work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God's word is something we can believe because the author is truth itself. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for your, uh, for your word, that not only are we able to, um, to have it, but we're able to believe it because of your power. And Lord, let that be a comfort to us, that we are not depending on the shakiness of what we think is evidence or the shakiness of what we believe is logical, but rather the surety of your Holy Spirit in our hearts that give us the belief to believe the author of truth. Lord, we ask for your help over uh, 
our, uh, our next hour as we worship you. Let us worship you in spirit and in truth. Give Andrew the words to say to us and hearts of, um, of humility that we might be able to listen and to believe your word as it is spoken to us. Lord, we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.